Well, it's the last Sunday of the year. I have a little bit of a cough today, so I've foregone, foregone using my head mic, so that way I can turn away from the microphone while I'm when I cough, so that way I won't blast you out. From and uh, so, but I may be a little bit like a caged animal up here as we try to get through all of this together this morning. As you know, I love to wander around and use lots of gestures, so we'll see what happens. But uh, it is the last Sunday of the year. And many of you will be like me. This week you'll be thinking about, well, how should 2011 be different than 2010? We might call those New Year's resolutions, right? But in many ways, it's just a general time of reflection, and we're asking ourselves the question, what should I do differently in 2011 than what I should do in 2010? You know, for some of us, we'll be thinking, well, maybe I should eat better. I'm planning on trying to do that. You know, uh, some of us will say, I need to lose weight. I need to exercise more. We'll, we'll look at all those kind of physical things. Some of us will look at some relational things, say, I'd really like to strengthen my relationship with my spouse this year, or I'd really like to strengthen my relationship with God. Might make, like to strengthen your relationship with God's people, maybe get connected with a life group or get involved in a Bible study or sign up to be a part of a ministry. There's lots of things that we consider in and I'm going to ask you today to consider making a commitment for 2011. And I, I, I want to lay out some reasons why I think you should make this commitment. You know, in the 14th chapter of Luke's gospel, there was a, just a huge crowd of people were following after Jesus. I mean, they were mesmerized by who he was. <clears throat> and he stopped with this huge crowd following him. He just stopped and he said, you know what? No one can come after me unless they hate father and mother and brother and sister, even their own lives, because no one can be my disciple unless they take up my, their cross and follow me. And what he went on to teach them through a couple of parables is that he was trying to get them to count the cost before they made the commitment. He talked about somebody who got ready to build a tower, and they used towers in their vineyards to be able to look out and, and keep an eye on things, and, and who would begin to build a tower if they didn't have enough money to complete it? So before they would sit down to start construction, they would sit down and, and figure out whether or not they had enough resources. Was there enough lumber there to complete the project? Or wouldn't a king, Jesus went on to teach through the parable, wouldn't a king stop and try to figure out whether or not he could beat an approaching foe with his 10,000 against their 20,000? And if not, wouldn't he go then and go and seek terms of peace? Because you always count the cost. I want you to count the cost today. And, and the commitment that I'm asking you to do is to read the Bible through in 2011. Now, we did this a few years ago. I was struck by the fact that there were probably, probably the vast majority of us never completed that commitment after we began it. Anybody ever fall into that club? You know, I know we got a few that have been, get through it. You know, we had one guy in our church that said, you know what? I know I'm going to lose that commitment over the summer, so I want to get it all done by May. You know, and so we had to keep feeding them the stuff in advance so they could get it all done. But for many of us, somewhere along the line, the commitment just begins to wane away, doesn't it? Somewhere in there we get sick or we get extra busy or whatever and we fall a few days, maybe a few weeks behind, and then we just said, you know what, I'm not going to do this. And I want to challenge you to count the cost today about reading through the Scripture in 2011. We're actually going to give you a rather unique plan to follow, I think not one that we created, but maybe one that you haven't done before, we're going, to have you, we're going to ask you to read through the Bible chronologically. What that means is that the outline that we'll give you will bring various pieces of the Scriptures that are occurring at the same time together. So you might be reading parts of the prophets, while at the same time while you're reading through sections of First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles. 
you'll find right away as you start out in this journey that you'll read Genesis 1 through 11, and then you'll read the entire book of Job before you start in on Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham. Because that's probably where Job fits. And so it can be a wonderful way, because, you know, it's interesting. We could have children who were involved in our children's ministry off and on for years and years and years. And you could ask them, who came first, Moses or David? And they're not exactly sure. And so it's really interesting, I think, at times to read through the scriptures chronologically. And and I'm asking you this week to reflect on that commitment. You know, when are you going to do that? You're going to get up a little earlier in the morning? You're going to read it through lunch? You're going to stay up a little later at night? Some of you travel, are you going to just dedicate lots of extra time in your hotel room when you're traveling on business to to read and to stay caught up? When when are you going to make that commitment? Are you going to find an accountability partner that helps you with that? Maybe Maybe you're going to read it through with one of your children or with a friend or with a spouse. And with that, you can keep each other honest as you go through. I think it's extremely important that we spend some time in the Word of God. It's interesting that that conservative evangelicals, and we certainly fit in that camp, and many of you fit in that camp, across the board would say that we believe that the Scripture is the Word of God. It is the life-giving Word of God, though the vast majority of people spend hardly any time at all in the Scriptures. So I want to ask you a non-rhetorical question this morning to start, meaning that I'm looking for some responses from you. Why do you think it's important to know the Scriptures? And let that set it in for just a minute. But why do you think it's important to know the Word of God? Okay, it's where we find God's truth, our plan, all those things. Yep, Leo. Absolutely. The Scripture talks about that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say, and often the words that they give us to say are Scriptures that we've read and stored away in our heart. Absolutely. Yes, Scott. <laughs> Second Timothy, Second Timothy two fifteen. Actually, that's the theme of Awani, isn't it? A workman who has no need to be ashamed because they rightly divide the word of God. Yeah, Linda. Absolutely, I think you find all of the principles of living. You know that you you find those in the scriptures. It's the it's the guideline. I don't think there's any surprises. You know, again, I, we've said this before. I mean, you may not. You may not find a particular passage that speaks about what we're supposed to do with human DNA and modern medical technology, but there are guidelines that should shape our values and our understanding about how we should process all of that stuff, and we find all of that in the Word. Yeah, Michael. Absolutely. It is the, the best how-to book <laughs> about everything. Yes, healthy, wealthy, and wise. I wouldn't argue with that. Yes, Judy, go ahead. Absolutely. The, the Word of God is just an incredible source of, of hope and encouragement, of challenge, and it, and it breeds conviction, which brings strength. And it, it, it does all those things. Absolutely. Yes, Claire. Yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely. Psalm 119. Absolutely. Yes, Alan. Yeah. It promotes understanding, doesn't it? it gives us perspective, eternal perspective. Yeah, thank you. It, it reveals God, doesn't it? It's, it's the place where God has chosen to reveal himself. He's done it many other places, you know, in creation. We know that from the word of God. He's done it, you know, the son is the exact representation of the father, as we read in Hebrews. But, but specifically, you know, it's a place where we go to see who God is, what he's like, and how he wants to relate to us. Any others? Yes, Ken. Yeah, it, it is a way that God communicates with us. It shows how we're supposed to communicate with us, with him. I think there's also a way you can look at the scriptures and say that the, the, the Bible is God's love letter to us. It tells us how he feels about us, both in our unredeemed and in our redeemed state. Anybody else? Why is it important to know the scriptures? It just, it just keeps on talking, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Ellen, you had your hand up. 
It's that mirror that Paul talked about, right? We can look into it and see ourselves. Yes, you had your hand up. It, it reorients us, doesn't it? You know, um, I, I mean, I've said this several different occasions in the life of our church, but the amount of information that we have to process today is off the charts compared to any other generation before us. You know, I, I think the story I love to tell you, know, a farmer in the late 1800s, the, the amount of information you could get out of one single Sunday, New York Times, that was more information than they had to process in their entire lifetime. It's, it's, it's an, and with that, it's just so easy to get disoriented, you know? The, the, the problem with life most of the time is it just happens every day. You know, it just doesn't stop, and it keeps, keeps working at us. Well, I want to add a few things to that as we think about this commitment to, be, to, to read the Word of God in 2011. I, I'm going to switch back, all right, Tom? Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3? 2 Timothy, the third chapter. If somebody's got one of the pew Bibles and gets to that page, would you just call out the page number for us? Because there may be some who are using that. And Say that again. 1,012. Thank you. I usually look that up and have it with me, but I didn't today. Just a bit of context on this, on this passage. This is Paul writing to probably his favorite student, Timothy. Now, Paul had a lot of great, great protégés who took up and carried on the banner of Christ after him. Certainly Luke and Silas and... And you think about uh, Titus and others. But he seemed to have had a special relationship with Timothy. Timothy was, he considered to be his spiritual son. And Timothy had experienced the same sense of call as Paul had to become a minister of the gospel, if you will. A teacher of the word to direct others. And so in Second Timothy, he is laying out some final words of challenge and encouragement to Timothy to prepare him for the journey that's ahead. And we have already recognized that in the second chapter of this letter, he encouraged him to be a workman who did not need to be ashamed, somebody who rightly handled the Word of God. And as he gets around to chapter 3, he speaks about why. And we see in verses 16 and 17, these verses that have become so familiar to those of us who revere and love the Scriptures. He says in the 16th verse, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. (coughs) Excuse me. I want to tell you today, I think one of the reasons why you ought to make the commitment to read the Bible through in 2011, why you ought to make the Bible something that you turn to all the time, It's because the Bible is just downright miraculous. And it's miraculous in lots of different ways. Most of the things I'm going to say this morning aren't going to be new to many of you, if to any of you. But they are things that we need to be reminded of today. And the first thing I tell you is that the Scripture is miraculous because it's miraculous in its origin. It is the only volume out of any of the books that you can find at Barnes & Noble or Borders, or on Amazon.com, or any other place where you go out looking. It's the only volume ever put together that has its origin in the breath of God. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's divine in its origin. It is absolutely unique. Peter put it this way in his first chapter of the second letter. He says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit from God. I would say that that's true of all of the Scriptures. When you, you know, I don't know if your house is like mine, but we have Bibles everywhere, you know. And that's not a bad thing. We have them in multiple translations. 
But sometimes our familiarity with the Scripture lowers our appreciation for the nature of the Scriptures. The Bible is absolutely unique and miraculous because it is unique in its origin. It comes from God. It's inspired or God-breathed. Now, I, I think it's a fair question to ask, and, and I never shrink from this question about, well, you know, the Scripture is really different. I mean, the Psalms are a lot different than Leviticus. You know, there's a lot of differences between the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew. Certainly, Revelation seems a whole lot different than 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you know. And so, how is it that, you know, you've got one author? I mean, certainly, as you look at the Scriptures... It's, it's fair to say that there are lots of different authors. I, I think that the number I've heard is, is, you know, as you try to figure out who wrote Hebrews and how many of the Old Testament books that Moses write, you have this huge conglomeration of guys who actually wrote. But you have people, certainly we know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James. In the Old Testament, you have people like Moses, King David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, and, and you can just keep going through all of the minor prophets. There's a large number of people involved. So how is it that God is the author if the books are different based upon who was actually writing the Word of God? You understand what I'm saying? We look at it and say, well, you know, if, if, if Revelation is so much different than 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, then how is it that God is the author of both? <clears throat> and, and students of the Word have struggled with that over the years, trying to come up with understandings of how it is that the Word of God is inspired and how it allows for the, the role of human personality in its provision to us. One of the terms that they've used is a theory that they call the dictation theory. It was literally just like Paul used to dictate some of his letters through a, an amuensis, they called him. Somebody who wrote down what was being said, much like a secretary would might go into a meeting and record everything that's said, like a court recorder. They don't have any role in it whatsoever. Some describe it as the, the authors literally being like a a typewriter, and God was just playing the keys as it came out. I struggle with that a little bit because it doesn't allow for some of the personality that we see in the Scriptures to come out, the different perspectives on things. There's others who believe that there's a dynamic view of Scripture, meaning that God planted the idea and he left it up to the authors to say it in their own words. I don't think that does justice to the inspiration the miraculous origin of God. I, some of you, and I'm sure this is not terminology that you're looking to use every day, but I hold to what I would understand a, a verbal plenary understanding of the Scriptures is that God took into the account of the uniqueness of every single individual that he used to write his word. But using that uniqueness, he communicated exactly what he wanted to have provided to us as a revelation of who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do, and how it is that you and I can live in relationship with him. So I tell you, when you pick up the scriptures, whether it be in a paperback or whether you be opening it up on your computer screen or whether it be on your new Kindle that you got for Christmas or whatever or on your phone, when you open that up and you begin to look at the black and white that's there for you, what you're looking at is the word of God. It is God speaking as our friend spoke of earlier. God speaks to his word because God has spoken his word. And I challenge you to make the commitment to read through the word of God in 2011 because it's miraculous in its origin. I'm also going to tell you it's miraculous in its message. Now, this, this shouldn't be anything new to you, but it might be to some of us. 
that the, the scripture is miraculous in its message. And it's not just because it tells us about miracles. Now, there's some great miracles in scripture. I mean, you start out with Genesis 1, right? What, what better, what bigger miracle than you get, can you have than to create something out of nothing? You know what I'm saying? You know, there was nothing in existence and God spoke and the world came into existence. God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there was day and night. It, it, it's incredible. We also read about the flood. We read about the feeding of the 5,000 from just a few fish and loaves. We read about the resurrection. There's some great miracles in the scriptures. But, but I got to tell you, the miraculousness of the message of God is not just in the miracles that it tells us about, but it's the message that God conveys to us. It communicates to you and I God's love for us. You ever doubt God's love for you? You ever wrestle with that? John Gallagher stood up here on Friday night as a part of our Christmas Eve service and told us that one of his biggest challenges was, you know, how is it that I can say to God on Sunday, I want to give my whole life to you, and then on Monday I'm out in traffic and I'm ready to swear and make some indecent gestures towards others, and how can God love me if I'm like that? And he wrestled with that issue. The Word of God tells us about how it is that God loves us. The Word of God tells us about how God's come to us. Not only in creation, not only through his word, through his prophets, but in these later days he has spoken to us by his son. It tells us about how he has come to us. As alluded to in many of your statements about why we should read the scriptures, that the Bible has this message for us about how it is that we're supposed to live our earthly lives. Whether it be dealing with a difficult circumstance, a difficult life journey, or how to deal with success and keep it all in perspective. To understand the things that should keep us humble as we relate to God. The scripture tells us all about God's earthly plan for us and how we're supposed to do life here and now. But it also tells us about where we're going to spend eternity. It tells us about God's eternal plan and how he wants us to get in on it. You know, I, I was amazed. I, I came across a, a reminder of an illustration I used back uh, a while ago in the, in the life of our church speaking about just how passionate we ought to be about the Word of God because of the message it conveys to us. And, and I stumbled across this illustration that I used before about a, an individual who had experienced a tremendous accident, been in, a, been in a fire, and they had lost their sight and their hands. And they had also, because of the, the intensity of the fire, they had lost all sensation in their lips. And they learned how to read Braille with their tongue. And they read the Word of God through, cover to cover, four times using their tongue. The message of God to us ought to make us that hungry for the Word of God. And, and i got to tell you, when, whenever I'm struggling to read the Word of God on a regular basis, I just know I'm not on track. I mean, if, if you don't have a hunger for the Word of God, then you're probably not on track spiritually. Martin Luther once said that reading the Scriptures is like picking apples, you know? You, you kind of start with the tree, and then you move out to the limbs and then to the branches and then out to the twigs. You know, I think when we go out to the orchards to do our you pick, you start out with the apples that are on a lower level. But eventually you find yourself up in the ladder gritting for the, the higher ones. I mean, there's always something for us from the Word of God, and we should never get to a place where we are satisfied because there's always more to find. I also got to tell you that I think that the Word of God is miraculous in its power. Or maybe another way to say the same thing is its purpose. We see it here listed. That's just lovely, isn't it? Sorry about that. I could say something else gross, but I'll skip that and just keep moving. <laughs> it's always great to get feedback. Here we go. You know, we could look at this scripture and say that the Word of God is, is, is just miraculous in its purpose or power. I mean, listen, 
When you see that the word of God is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? What, what, what it's saying to you and what it's saying to me is that if we read the word of God and we let the spirit of God work within us as we read it, that we will have a complete capacity. That's my, one of my words. We'll, we'll have all the spiritual competency that we're going to need in order to experience God's plan in our lives. We're going to be equipped for every good work. That we're going to be complete. It has this miraculous power. It's interesting. One of the places we love to go and to quote is from Hebrews chapter 4, where it talks about the nature of the Word of God. Where it says in verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It is the judge of the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom, to whom we must give an account. It's interesting that in the context of the book of Hebrews, this thought is, <coughs> excuse me, is embedded in an appeal by God through the author of Hebrews that none of us should come short of the Sabbath rest that God has for us. You start over in chapter 3 where he's talking about the fact that there were many people who left Egypt with Moses who never made it into the promised land. In, arrival, in arriving in the promised land and living with the promises and the provision of God is understood as living with Sabbath rest. It's living in the presence of God, with the purpose of God, with the provision of God, the, the resources of God. And at the end of chapter 3, it talks about the fact that it's because of unbelief and disobedience that no, many people didn't make it in. And the author picks up that charge and it says, you know what, I don't want that to happen to any of you. Don't come up short of the Sabbath rest. And you know how you get there? By this living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Word of God. If you want to experience all that God has for you, you must spend time in the Word of God. It's miraculous in its purpose, in its power, what it can do in our lives. But if you and I will not spend time in the Word of God, it just ain't going to happen. It's not just a matter of sincerity, how intense you are in your relationship with God. It's what you know about God, what you know about truth, and letting this Word work within you, that seed of faith to be planted deep within you. It happens through the Word of God. And if we don't spend time with the Word of God, this active sword that can show us where we're coming up short of Sabbath rest, we'll, we'll never experience the fullness of God. I think one of the great tragedies of recent generations is that we have trivialized the Word of God. You know, there was back a time in the 15 and 1600s where people gave their lives so that the printed Word of God could be placed into the hands of ordinary believers like you and I. And today, we just look for the fanciest cover so it'll look good on our coffee table. But we never plan on opening it. We've trivialized the Word of God. Let me put it this way. If God has not yet rocked your world through His Scripture, then you probably really haven't entered into His Sabbath rest. The Word of God challenges us at the deepest levels of who we are. Our values, our commitments, our priorities, our ideas, our principles— it, it, it just brings deep brokenness and conviction. If that stuff's not happening in our lives, we're not experiencing the promised land of living in relationship with God. It, it's, it's powerful stuff. Perhaps this has already been said, but let me just clarify that not only is the Word of God miraculous in its origin, in its message, in its purpose and power, 
but it's also miraculous in its results. The Word of God has the ability to transform you. I beseech you, brothers, the Apostle Paul wrote at God's inspiration, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, and that you not be conformed to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the good and perfect will of God. That transformation of mind happens through God's Word. And if we will invest ourselves in it, it'll be miraculous in results. Now this week, on a very practical level, we're going to put up on our website a copy of the PDF that you can use to read through. We're also going to provide those in paper so that you can have a guide each day. Maybe just stick it in your Bible so you have it with you whenever you're, you're getting ready to read. But I challenge you, based upon the miraculousness of the Word of God, to make a commitment to be a student of the Word of God in 2011. It's something we should do every year. My friend Bob St. Jean back here, how many times have you been through the, the Bible now, Bob? Four times? In different translations, right? You know, and that may be something for you guys to think about. You know, maybe you always read it in the NIV, or you always read it in the King James, or just read it in a different translation. Let God bring a different light to what he's communicated to you. If you have any questions about the translation you're using, I'd be glad to, to give you some feedback on that. But have a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God this year. On the back of your connection cards, there's a place for you to indicate whether or not you're ready to take that commitment. I, I'm not going to make that offer. I, I want you to count the cost. Because what you know, we don't need a lot more of us saying, man, I made that commitment and I didn't get through it. I made it to March, you know, or I made it to April or May or whatever. But I want you to really think through it. But if you're ready to make that commitment this morning, I, I wouldn't stop you. Because I think like Levi, as we read about on Christmas Eve, our response ought to be immediate when we know it's right. But if you're not ready to make that commitment yet, you'll have a chance again next week. And uh, all you got to do in order to be on target with us as of next Sunday is just read Genesis 1 through 3 next Saturday. You'll be, you'll be on target with us to read the Bible through in a year. You know what? It's a very fitting for us today to celebrate the gift of God's Word to us. Because we just got done yesterday celebrating the gift of the Word to us. Let's pray together. You know, Father, you, you say in your Word to the Apostle Paul that you like to take the simple things to confound the wise, that you use that which looks foolish to bring life. This message today has been very simple. It may even sound foolish to some, that just words on a page can change us for eternity. But God, I actually ask you to use that simplicity and that foolishness to do in us what only you can do through your word. For I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.